welcome to the weekend sober. Um, it's Kim and Catherine. We're so glad you're here. Um, today we have a wonderful guest here with us. Um, welcome Camilla Smith. Um, welcome. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Very grateful and excited for us to connect. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Camila, uh, it's Camilla's okay too. <laughs> okay, Camilla is, um, you are a licensed certified social worker, yeah. right? Is that like your official uh, license? Yeah, so I'm a licensed uh, clinical social worker. Okay. Um, yeah, and right now I am, so I actually finished all of my coursework and my research, just have a final chapter for my doctorate in health sciences. Wonderful. Um, and so that will be coming soon, just need to wrap it up. Amazing. That's, That's a lot of work. I'm quite yes, impressed. That is very It's <laughs> amazing. And yeah. You, so you are a self-proclaimed anxiety and gut brain specialist, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. why you're here today to talk to us about some cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, so my um my experience as a therapist and just kind of being in the field within the first five years, I my last job prior to private practice, I was working at a clinic, a community health clinic. So we would get a lot of referrals from primary care. People would go to the doctor and, you know, have certain things maybe um, related to anxiety. So then we would get a, a referral. But what I was finding was that there was a big disconnect between kind of the medical primary care side and mental health and that we were treating it completely different, right? So people would come from, let's say, their doctor or have coming from being prescribed uh, a medication for their physical symptoms to mental health, where now we're viewing it as a mental thing, right? So it's kind of confusing to have that area in between, like, okay, so, you know, what is it? Is it a thing in my body? Is it a thing in my head? Yeah. Um, so I started to kind of feel more and more somewhat uncomfortable following the narrative of, uh, mental health being solely in our thoughts, right? That it's something that we could just like change and that it would change everything. And the more that I sat with that, the more underprepared um, I felt and really, you know, started to realize that I needed, that there was something that I myself wasn't getting that I didn't receive throughout my, you know, my graduate program or even trainings that I had been through. So I started to lean on, I, I went back to school, got my doctorate in health sciences and focused on clinical nutrition um, because I'm like, well, there has to be something, right? And the more I kind of dug, things just got more and more clear. Um, and towards the end, really heavily specialized on anxiety. So I started my researches on the use of natural um, botanicals. So herbs, amino acids and vitamins for anxiety as a treatment for anxiety. Um, so a lot of it really came from my own experience as a, you know, as a therapist and also personal experience of feeling like anxiety is so much in our body mm. that to, to view it as something that's just in our head. Yeah. Very odd to me. Um, right. So that's the ache or the, totally. you know, the, the headache, the backache, the neck yes. ache, any yes. sort of thing like that, the sweating, anything that all of the things that are, that are symptomatic be because of anxiety. Yes. So this is fascinating to us. You know, this uh, is so fascinating yeah, to I, both of us in so many ways. For, first of all, 
we have not had anybody that's at all like medically trained on this podcast. Yeah, this so wonderful. this is really helpful to us because we're often like, I think that makes sense medically. <sighs> like, you know, well, you know, my mom is a she's a quote unquote diagnostician, and I've definitely okay. followed in her footsteps. I really think this is what's going on. You know, yes. <laughs> we're always like, we should really check that. Out. We should really look that up. We're not really <laughs> but, but, not to discount, but we're we do. I feel validated knowing that there is this connection, knowing know, yeah. that all of this hard work. It's, it's so true. And, um, so talk to us about some of the things. Oh, well, well, first of all, yes. you, you're I all, have two you, questions. Ha- you, I just want to highlight the fact that you do, you, you are also a professor at the university yes. of New Haven. Oh, um, you are the owner of a, is it a wellness center or so it's a private practice, um, and yeah, we provide the uh, therapeutic services, so kind of therapy based. Yeah. Um, after I I left the clinic because again it just wasn't making sense, and I'm like I, I don't know I need to. So I started a private practice that gave me a little bit more flexibility to be able to work with my clients in a way that I, you know, felt was especially as I was integrating a lot of different things, right, like nutrition. So uh, I worked for an agency, which is a great agency, um, but it's also a federally qualified clinic. So what that means is that there's very stringent um, rules. And for example, we were not allowed to tell someone that melatonin was helpful because it was outside of our scope of practice as a therapist, right? So even if we had information, we weren't allowed to say anything like, hey, you know, B vitamin would be great. So mm-hmm. that started to weigh on me because as I was gaining this uh, education, I was kind of stuck yes. in being yeah. able to deliver that. So this is when that was your impetus for starting your own practice. So you're yes. able to rewrite the things and, and integrate what you're learning. Yes, exactly. Practice. That's wonderful. And that's really, uh, it's, it's profound because people do get so stuck and there's still the stigma about going to doctors to for mental health or mental health. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think another thing that I I kind of, I want to add to this is that with anxiety in particular, so there's 12 different types of anxieties and um, social, there's phobia, generalized panic, and there are anxiety can be the result. For example, there's um, anxiety secondary two, and then we might have a medical condition, anxiety secondary two, um, you know, a substance. So sometimes anxiety symptoms, even though they show up, they are, there can be so much more um, underneath it. It can be connected to, right, m- actual medical conditions or our body kind of going through changes. And I think this is where it's so important that we line up because if we're viewing anxiety, you know, our mental health as just in our head, but, you know, our, our response, our mind response to our body and our body response to our mind, right? So there's no way to separate out. The right. Two. It's a complete connection. It is. It, so that was interesting when you said 12 different yeah. varieties. Yes. Different um, uh, classifications. So when classification. we go to diagnose, yeah. Um, I have so many questions and thoughts and I feel like my head is going in 12 different directions when you said that, but I, so when I was drinking, I felt, so I was on so many different types of stomach medications. I had horrible issues with my stomach. I remember Catherine talking to Catherine before a bar class Mm -hmm. in the morning. And I was like, I just took 10 Imodium. Mm -hmm. Um, I was on prescription medicine. I had to cut out so many foods. Yep. I went to, um, 
a GI doctor who was like, you need to stop. You have to go on a low FODMAP diet. You need to stop Mm -hmm. eating um, all onion and garlic and mushrooms and this and that. And I basically stopped eating all vegetables. Um, I stopped cooking the way I wanted to cook and I went gluten-free for a while. I did all sorts of things to adjust my diet. But the one thing I didn't do was stop drinking. drinking, (laughs) I was like, I'll never stop drinking alcohol, but I will do everything else and cut out every other food in the world. And I basically was like not eating anything nutritious, um, because I had to keep alcohol in my life. And I still was having these awful experiences, awful stomach problems. Mm -hmm. And, um, with it, yeah horrible, debilitating anxiety over it. Um, so much that I had to take these ammonium had to take the Pepto-Bismol just to convince Mm -hmm. myself that I wasn't gonna shit my pants basically. (laughs) Um, you know, and it was so it would get worse when I was traveling in a car or going to the airport or just, just because I was so terrified of what was going to happen. Um, I never actually did shit my pants or poop myself or anything, but, um, you know, it was always that fear of never being near a bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. So since I cut alcohol out, you know, I no longer very proud to say and I can eat everything and anything I can eat dairy. I can eat gluten. I can eat onions. It's really lovely. Amazing. Yeah. My story for anybody. Yeah. No. She doesn't shit her pants. I don't. don't. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to hear that. Very good. You have people who come to you that are um, actively drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And that don't really stay clean about their, you come clean about their um, alcohol usage that you have. Yeah. So definitely, you know, throughout my, my career, I've had been in different like kind of stages of it. Um, I actually worked in, I don't know, maybe seven years ago, I worked at uh, inpatient, um, kind of like it was a post detox. So it was kind of in between um, where people, you know, right after they got out of detox, they would go. um, And I mean, it was voluntary, but it was a 30 day um, inpatient. So we had, I've worked with people on like different levels as far as the continuum um, of where they are. And there's so much that goes into um, into the process of our body reacting to any toxin, right? So when we look at, when we think about like alcohol, um, you know, and the way that our body processes it, it's um, in some ways, like, let's say someone who is um, uh, intolerant to gluten and they're eating gluten, right? The body's going to have a response. Someone, I can't do dairy. Like it is violently not okay. Like my body will throw up, right? If I eat dairy, it's a toxin for me, yeah. right? And alcohol in high content um, or just alcohol in general is inflammatory, right? So we have a response to it um, and it activates that. So I definitely worked with people um, in kind of all stages of it. And we have um, in, the ther- in the therapy world, there is different stages. So one is pre-contemplation. That's before anybody recognizes that there's a problem. So for them, there's no issue whatsoever, right? We have contemplation. So we're starting to think about like, oh, maybe there's something going on. Action is when we're like, okay, something's going on. I need to do something. We do it, right? Um, Then we go into maintenance. So now we have to maintain our, our, you know, this kind of cycle because after we make a change 
it's also equally as important to sustain it, right? To add in new habits. Um, so yeah, I've worked with people kind of all through the spectrum. It's fascinating. And it's, it's so interesting to have it put out in those stages because I've never really seen it that way, but that's exactly, that's exactly right. Um, when you're working with these different stages and more or less when they're detoxing, like you were talking about, are you a, able to, or um, help medically with like um, a natural way with vitamins? Is there a regimen that you put um, on to sort of help get their body Detox. When I was working at a clinic, so currently I'm in private practice, which means that I'm fully independent, right? And um, that time you probably, is that where you couldn't? So working at, working at a clinic, um, we, so the clinic that I worked with, we were in close collaboration with Yale Hospital mm-hmm. um, and the clinic itself had a detox unit. So the protocol working, you know, depending on what um, agency we work for, there's different protocols. Um, when somebody is actively detoxing, they do tend to, um, or the, the best in evidence kind of base is a medical detox, right? Because we know that like alcohol withdrawal could have serious effects like seizures. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. So we want to make sure that they are. So typically the medical uh, detoxes will go around 48 to 72 hours um, and they'll provide them with IV fluids um, that will give all of the medications that the body kind of needs to stabilize. Um, So in an active detox stage, um, it's really important to seek that medical attention. Some people actually, um, I have had individuals that are actively drinking and want to go cold turkey. That can sometimes, depending on what stage, um, it can be dangerous. Yeah. So I think um, when it gets to the point where the body is fully dependent um, on a substance to function, right? Mm-hmm. Then it becomes a medical um, necessity. Now, post, you know, detox, I think this is where a lot of the nutrition, you know, vitamins, um, you know, for example, a lot of individuals uh, with alcohol use um, disorders tend to have deficiencies. I want to say particularly in vitamin B1, mm-hmm. um, and also just B vitamins, right? So this is where we can start to kind of nurture the body again and getting all of these systems um, kind of back up and into a healthy state. Okay, that's great advice too. So do you have any recommendations of people who have, um, if either they've gone through that active detox or perhaps they're like Kim and I, where we decided to stop? Yeah. Um, You know, my personal usage wasn't, um, on, a, I was more of a binge drinker and yeah. like, um, um, a social drinker for my own social anxiety and my own, oh, how can I say it? You know, I would drink what to tamp down things, my own stress. anxiety, yeah, yeah. stress yeah. or conversations that need to be had. And I didn't know how to, so have it wasn't it. for you. It wasn't necessarily dangerous when you stopped drinking. It wasn't dangerous when I right. stopped, but at the same time, um, I'm sure there were, there was enough, enough depletion in my body of certain mm-hmm. vitamins that would be very oh, yeah. useful for people in that stage. Yes. Um, do you suggest that they talk to a clinician? Do you think that there's something that they could seek out in terms of, oh, you know, like a, a B complex might be a really, yeah. 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 So I think this is where the collaboration between fields is so important, right? Because 
thankfully we do have diagnostics, right? We can go get lab work. And yeah. I think yeah. that's beautiful, right? We can see right. like exactly what our body needs and where we're deficient. And this is where it gets so, um, this is a gray area, right? As mental health clinicians, we don't have access to any labs, right? Could we, it would be great if we could check to see someone's dopamine and serotonin levels and see, but we don't have any of that. So I think this is where, unfortunately, the system is not set up so that there is that natural flow. And it is a lot of times on us to like, you know, uh, dabble into different areas to get, but my recommendation would be to work with both, right? So on one end, we want, or maybe even a three prong approach, right? So one would be, you know, just checking in with our primary care doctor so that we can get kind of our labs and, you know, have that piece that also working with um, maybe it's a nutritionist or um, a dietitian that's going to help to supplement, you know, the body um, and really bring in some of that naturally. And then the mental health piece, right, um, I think is also really important. Um, so I think, and this is for me where there isn't that one central place to go to, yeah. right? So as a clinician, I was like, oh, I'm like in this corner, but then there's that and there's that. And I, was like, yeah. and I don't know, like we need someone that can at least has a working knowledge of all of it. Um, so that's why I went to school and, you know, just decided to become the person that I felt was, you I know, like that. I, that I could go to because I yeah, was I like, why can't, it's so hard. Like, I don't understand some stuff. Like, um, so, you know, I would say definitely tuning or checking into the different areas would be best helpful. That's a great, that's yeah. great advice. Um, in terms of anxiety, um, my fear would be going off my medication and that lag time and, yeah. and, and taking a natural approach just yes. for the fear of it ramping up. How yeah. do you, how do you handle that where people who are taking care of their mental health in a traditional way, um, and might want to steer for, yeah. yeah. So this was actually a really big thing for me. You know, I myself, aside from my experience, you know, professionally, um, I have battled with anxiety and panic disorder. Um, so I know how important that benzo is when your body is in full, you know, panic mode. Um, and when I was, uh, so, and I don't think I actually said this at the beginning, um, but I'm also the chief clinical officer at Become. So Become is a a natural, well, it's a wellness company. And what we did was we developed and launched an all natural um, daily pack with different vitamins, amino acids, and basically all the research that I did for my dissertation funneled into an actual product, which is really exciting. Wonderful. So when I was formulating, I was um, primarily the person who formulated all the ingredients and the dosages and blends. And when I was formulating, that was one thing that I like kept front and centered, you know, that I wanted uh, to be able to provide a supplement that could be used with a medication that would and could be used alone or mm-hmm. could be used with and that would enhance. Um, so the ingredients that are there's certain um, ingredients that can be used. There's actually there's only a few like, for example, a really, really great supplement, but not recommended for anyone who's taking medication would be like 5-HTP, right? 5-HTP is a wonderful natural based um, supplement, but it's contraindicated for anyone taking an antidepressant, right? So um, there are some some herbs um, or vitamins that can be taken that actually increase um, the efficacy or how well 
the traditional medication works. So for example, in our pack, we included um, magnesium and B6. So magnesium and B6 are actually necessary for the production of serotonin. So by us taking it, we're enhancing the process and we're enhancing our, our medications, right? Our SSRIs ability to produce it. So we're just kind of priming the body in a way. And as beings, we are quite deficient in magnesium. A lot. We're six. Yeah. The average American is uh, 68% um, or 68% of Americans are deficient in magnesium, which is, that's a lot. That's yeah. most of us. Yeah, it is. And I heard it was from, um, especially on the East coast, right? We have been living here for so long and utilizing the water system and all of that natural magnesium mm-hmm. in the rocks have just sort of depleted yes. Whereas like out West you have oh, more rocks and more magnesium to, to draw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and I think along with natural causes are food, like Co- the things that we're eating, mm-hmm. you know, it's so processed. Um, magnesium is a very interesting because there are different types of um, magnesium. So like magnesium glycinate, magnesium citrate, oh. and the, the way some stay in our body a lot quicker, some leave. So magnesium is just a very interesting one because depending on, let's say the form of it, it can either um, stay in our body or it's gonna get kind of flushed out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so which is the one that stays? It's the, the citrate, citrate or the citrate, citrate that's, yeah. that leaves? So citrate. Um, yeah, uh, glycinase is a really good one as far as it, it's staying in our body and being, um, you know, and, and staying in um, citrate. citrate. So for example, malate, magnesium malate is one that gets like kind of uh, leaves out. our body flushes. Yeah. Out. yeah. yeah. Okay. So that would be like a good one. Um, it's more like can be, well, it's not necessarily used as, but can have that laxative effect. Right. Okay. So like, I was going to say the can, citrate comes better on your stomach. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we want to like think about um, the effects of them in particular and what they do to our body. That's yeah. great. Great. Oh, it's fascinating. I love the work that you've decided to go um, explore mm-hmm. and create because it is a, it's a, a loss of communication when yes. Eastern medicine, it's like an Eastern medicine, Western medicine, you know, like they're, they don't talk to each other. And now right. in Western medicine, you have to recognize what our what our bodies need. And sometimes yes. it's just such a, um, um, bandaid approach, right? Absolutely. It's like the symptoms rather than the actual root and the cause. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think there's, there's also, um, the whole idea that of willpower when it comes to, you know, mental health or recovery or addiction. And that is that it's viewed as something that is solely on, we can change or that we can stop doing something right. That we can, uh, through our, our desire. Um, and I think that, yes, that is a big piece, right? Like having the motivation and desire to make a change is huge, but there are also kind of the, the body and the science part of it, um, is that there are, it's a little bit harder, right? Because when it becomes a way that our body sustains, right? So let's say somebody that has really, our, our brain is very efficient, um, and what that means, I actually read somewhere and they called it lazy, but I don't like that word. I like efficient. But what that means is that our brain loves shortcuts, right? It likes to just go towards what it knows works. And it's going to do that. Like it's, this is where habits come in, right? Mm-hmm. So 
if we're highly stressed, if I'm stressed throughout the day at work, and then every time I come home, I, you know, pour a, a glass of wine, or I eat something, or I exercise, whatever it might be, it doesn't, you know, um, my, my body's going to start to associate whatever I'm doing with stress relief, right? Mm -hmm. So every time I'm stressed, my body's going to say, Oh, why don't we do and then it's going to pull it in, right? So there's a very, uh, and that's going to happen regardless of whether we want to think about it or not, right? Like I've, there's been times where I'm sitting home, uh, eating healthy or doing, minding my business. And out of nowhere, I'm thinking about pizza. I'm like, oh, that'd be really good for no reason. I didn't call it upon myself. I didn't make a plan to think about, you know, pizza, but my, my mind just brings it up. Right. And there's a science to that. There's a reason why our brain brings up certain memories, right? Which then become triggers when we think about like recovery. Right. Um, and that there are certain techniques that we can do. There's things that we can do that can help to like almost uh, shortcut that, right? And I think once we start to understand that there is, um, there are ways that we can kind of reset our, our thought processes um, it's very helpful because if I lean on willpower alone, right, then I might feel really disappointed when I continue to have these automatic thoughts that come up, right? Because it's right. like, oh, it's not working. I'm trying everything and I'm still thinking about it, right? And that's right. normal and it's supposed to be that way. Right. It's yeah. like tapping into your unconscious mind yes. to break the conscious patterns that you're having. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm studying a lot about this. This is I love that. Next path. Yeah. I think, um, this is really helpful for a lot of people that are starting this process of sobriety and, and just embarking on this journey because um, in the beginning of sobriety, it's really hard because you have all of those triggers like you were talking about. And um, so often you think, okay, uh, you know, five o'clock rolls around and your kids are crying and your husband just called and he said he's going to be late. And, you know, you just burn the dinner and you're just like, fuck, I just want a glass mm -hmm. of wine. It's like all those things are trick, you know, mm -hmm. little things going in your mind, mm -hmm. telling you, you deserve that glass of wine, <laughs> you know, it's like a little wine, witch. and it is when you were saying going out to on a Saturday night, you anticipating the anxiety, the social anxiety, your body, your brain is used to relying on these coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in sobriety, you have to create those like new neural pathways Yes, and to not rely on those coping mechanisms and to not. Yeah, yeah. exactly. To instead of creating saying, habits. Yeah, creating new yeah. habits. Instead of saying, I, I need a glass of wine to get through the rest of this goddamn night. You say to yourself, you know, I'm going to go take five deep breaths in the bathroom alone. And that's mm -hmm. going to be my new coping strategy. Yeah, or whatever exactly. it may be in early sobriety, I used to say, all right, guys, you go watch TV. I'm going to go. And I would jump on the Peloton for 10 minutes yes. to get, yeah. just to get through that moment of wanting to drink. And yeah, it's literally retraining yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and I used to think of it literally as, um, these like overgrown, dirty, sandy paths with like nasty grass that my brain was just like, so mm -hmm. like, you know, like muddy. muddy. Yeah. yeah. And I really had to get like a lawnmower and plow through. Like, I a, love that. Yeah. You brought up such a good point, which is that action, right? Because if I'm sitting cooking dinner, I have a thought, 
then I get frustrated. I've been working so hard and I'm still having these thoughts. Why won't they go away? What's wrong? What haven't I done right? And let's say that I get stuck in thought, right? Or I get stuck in feeling. Mm -hmm. So now I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling defeated. I'm feeling hopeless. um, I'm feeling out of options. So now those feelings get attached, right? So the next time, because our brain goes to what we know, the next time I think about, you know, stopping, I'm going to pull those old feelings, right? The frustration, all of that. And then it compounds. But Mm -hmm. if I take action, right? If I'm having these thoughts and I go ride the Peloton, thankfully, let's say exercise, it's going to give me, uh, it's going to change my physiology, right? So now we get to attach a new thing and we're going to feel good. Um, So I always recommend action. There's actually a really cool um, trick. And what you do is grab anything at all. Um, So right now I'm grabbing a pen. And let's say that I'm thinking about like, I want a glass of wine. Okay. And what we're going to do is you're just going to switch. So we're going to start tossing anything, uh, a ball. You're going to toss between both hands. So just back and forth between your hands. So you're going to say, I want a glass of wine. And, and now this is a replacement thought, right? Like I want a glass of wine and I'm choosing not to, I want a glass of wine and I'm going to go for a walk instead. I want a glass of wine and I'm capable of. So what this does, right, is again, our our body and our brain follows pathways. So we have a set pathway. I want a glass of wine. We get a glass of wine. That's the only pathway that our brain can follow. My brain, unless you have in the past wanted a glass of wine and started throwing something around in between your hand, that's a new thing, right? right? So your brain has to build a new pathway because it's a new experience. It's not an old experience anymore because you've just added a new element, mm-hmm. right? So now our brain is like, wait a minute. So now it starts, it literally creates a new experience. Mm-hmm. And the uh, using both hands is very important because when we do that, we're activating. So yeah. for me to do this, you know, oh. I have to like, yeah, uh, it's yeah. left left and right brain. Mm-hmm. And I'm also activating problem solving. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I'm in the moment, right? Because my brain is like, catch catch right it's it's thinking about like distance depth perception so it's activate it's switching us out of you know like that that zombie mind that like exactly yeah the lost in thought mind where yes viral I love that that's 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 and anything at all that you have like and if you can't if you don't have anything that you can toss even just um kind of opening and closing your hands alternating between them Mm -hmm. and then so we just really want that movement Okay. That's, that's that. such a great tip. And, and that's honestly just like getting on the Peloton. It was, that was yes, really exactly what I right. needed to do because I would just in the evenings sit and zone out with alcohol. Cause I was an everyday drinker and that's my days would end just mm. like in a slow melt of nothing oblivion. Yeah. And so ending my day with activity and even these days when I'm starting to feel irritated with my kids, I will just get down on the floor and start playing with the dogs and get out of my funk. And then they'll start playing with us and then we'll get silly. And then everything will just shift. shift. It'll shift the energy of all of us, you know? And and so that's that, you know, just like getting out of the funk, doing something, switch your brain, switch your mindset. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I think that's such a good tip. Just the physical movement alone is so so helpful. 
Um, we have so much more. Can we do this again? Yeah. Can we do a part? Yes. Two? Oh, I would love two. to. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would really encourage our listeners to email us um, with some questions for Camila and um, at the weekend sober at gmail.com um, or send us a message at the weekend sober podcast on Instagram. And we'll include all of your information in the show notes. Camila, and yeah. Uh, send some. Yes. Hey, it's no, I would be happy to answer any questions. Um, I you know we mentioned earlier, my actual, one of the classes that I taught at the university of new Haven was a psychology of addiction. It was a graduate course. Um, so I, um, I love science. <laughs> I have all a lot of geeky uh, facts about just in general addiction, like how the brain works, what's going on. And I think as we learn more, um, we can kind of take away some of that, that shame of feeling like there's something wrong with us, right? When we can view the process from, hey, this is kind of what happens, right? And this can happen to anyone. And it's not a character flaw. And it's not that we're flawed. Um, yeah, it's a habit this, of mind that yeah, needs yeah. to shift. It's how we've been processing right. um, things that happen to us. And we just need to be more vocal about it and open about the change and want to change. And it's okay to yeah. shift. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much. And you're so welcome. I'm so glad that you connected with us. And this has been so wonderful to hear from you. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. A pleasure. We'll be in touch because I think definitely are going to have a part two. Absolutely. You gave us a lot to think about. Yeah, so much. Awesome. Well, I look forward to it. Thank you. All right. All right. You take care. Good luck with everything. Bye bye.